Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Right, and we are live. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Not my usual day for the show, because Tuesdays is my usual day, but my incredible guest that I am so excited that I finally got to have on my show, Mike Faith of Headsets.com, was not available yesterday. And he said, I can do Wednesday. And I went, yes, because the beauty of not being on broadcast radio anymore is I can be way more flexible with my guests and with my own time when I need to. And that's really what customer service is all about, right? Is making sure that those people that you want to talk to, that you want to do business with, that it works for them as well as for you and your business. And headsets.com is a company that I've been doing business with for, gosh, Mike, I was trying to think of this the other day. I think since pretty much you guys started, I had my tech services company and rather than mm -hmm. sell headsets through distribution, I sent all my clients to you. Well, well, Laura, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show here. I appreciate it. And thanks for being a long-term customer. Um, I, I appreciate that. And we, we started in 1997 and went through a couple of kind of iterations in the first few years. But gosh, uh, that's some time ago. So, so, so thank you for all the business. Well, you know, one of the things that you guys are known for is customer service, but not just customer service, the entire customer experience from before you buy anything to after you've purchased and even years after you've purchased. Mm. And that's not something that companies are really good at, you know, and, and I struggle with it because like you've said many times, customer service is common sense. So why, if it's such common sense, do you think that so many companies struggle with this concept of it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it is common sense, but it is hard work. Um, and it's not easy. Um, you know, and what's an analogy? You know, love is common sense, but love isn't easy. I don't know if that, that's a fair analogy or what. It just, just came to mind there. Um, but um, it's, it's a lot of work day in, day out, making sure that we're delivering the right service, that we're doing it right, we're paying attention to what's right and what's wrong and keeping people motivated and understanding. And I think that's why many companies claim customer service. It's easy to claim. It's a lot harder to fulfill. You know, when I sold my tech company, I had been using many different headsets that I had from you guys, right? Mm -hmm. I had the wireless ones for everybody in my office. Mm -hmm. I had the wired ones because sometimes you'd, you just needed a wired one in case your battery ran out, right? Because we were always online with customers doing remote work. And then a couple of years ago, I got something called sound-induced vertigo, which prevented me from wearing a headset. If I put a headset on my head, it would trigger massive vertigo from the concussive sound waves that would come. And I went online trying to find a headset through you guys, couldn't find one. I sent three back because you guys are wonderful that way. And my phone rings and I'm like, hello? And they're like, hey, this is, I think it was Dave or somebody at headsets.com. And he said, you've sent a few back. Let's help you try to figure out how to solve the problem. Mm, yeah. I mean, out of the blue. And I ended up with 
this. The Sennheiser SP20, the only non-headset that you guys sell. And he sent it to me with a 60-day trial. Don't pay for it till I decide. And he said, I think that will work for you. And it did. Mm. All of a sudden, I could function again because I couldn't even hold a phone to my ear. Yeah. Mm. And that is not something that people just expect for a business. You've built this. What did it take for you to instill an entire culture that leads with that? Yeah. Well, if, you know, if I go back to when we started, Laura, um, we weren't a high service company. We were, we were a discounter. And we spent about three years um, with that as our business model. And um, I, um, you know, we, we got to about $3 million a year in sales, $3 million a year in sales, but we were stuck there. And I kind of almost overnight switched our business model. And, and the kind of brief story behind it, if I may, is I was listening to a, a Tom Peters tape in search of excellence. But these were, we had, we had tape recorders, you know, cassette recorders. I think. I remember. So I had the cassettes, I was listening to it in bed. And, and you know, Tom Peters talked about customer service um, as a barrier to entry, he'd teach. And, you know, his students would say, well, it's not a barrier to entry. And I'm recalling the story from 20 years ago now. Right, I got I might, it. I, if, it's, if it's moved a little bit, but his, his students would say, well, customer service isn't a barrier, barrier to entry. Anyone can do it. And he would say, anyone can do it, but it's really hard. So very few people do, and it's a barrier to entry. And I thought, okay, that's what we're going to do. So almost on impulse, I went in and started changing the company the next day. And, and I became fanatical about it. And I think if you're going to, for me, if I'm going to do something and I really take it on, I get fanatical about it. And everyone knows. And everyone knew this is where we were going. There was no lack of clarity or persistence in the direction, the new direction that we chose. We had to lose a few people because they just weren't going to be the right fit for where we were going. Um, and because, you know, high customer service isn't for the impatient. Um, it isn't for the people that get annoyed or are dismissive. You can run a company with some of those traits. Doesn't mean it's right, but you, you can't be in customer right. service. So as, as I say to my folks, I say, you know, I, I like doing a customer service call now and again. I know that I've got the wrong patient's profile to do it all day long because um, I can, I, I really need a kind of, I, I can get a little bit irritated if things aren't moving at a fast rate. And in, in customer service, you need to be the opposite and just be patient with how it's going. So, yeah, perhaps a long answer there, Laura, but um, that was our kind of switch. And that was back in 2000. We started in 1997. In 2000, we switched to a high service model. And we've been running the high service model now for, I guess, what, 20 years. How has that impacted the bottom line? Initially, it cost us. Um, initially, we... Um, you know, with the changes we made and the high customer service, we were spending a lot more time with people. Um, and over time, it's paid off uh, because we've made an investment in customers being impressed with us, customers enjoying our service, customers remembering us, and customers coming back again and spreading the word because of that. So there was a two or three year investment before that really paid off. Do you think if you had started your company out that way that the investment wouldn't have taken as long to play out? Or oh, if you did it again, gosh, it would yeah. be shorter? 
That's mm, a great question. I, I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Um, and I'm trying to process it now and think, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly I, I wish I had have done it that way. How it would have played out on the profit wise, I don't know. Um, um, but perhaps, you know, what I did was the right way to learn and to get an initial customer base. So, um, don't know. Don't know the answer to that. It's a great question. Yeah, you know, I, I ask it because my listeners are entrepreneurs mm. and some of them are just starting businesses. Some of them have been in business for a long time and their businesses are sort of flatlined. Yes. And some of them, their businesses are tanked and they're yeah. like, what do I do to shift? I mean, yeah. what do you say to those people when they're, they're going, I need to make a change. I need to make an investment in something. Where's my best yeah. place to invest? Yeah. And of course, I'm very wary about being prescriptive for other people because I don't know their circumstances. Right. But, you know, I generally believe that a high service model is a good way of standing out. And, you know, for some companies, a low price model is a good way of standing out. Um, I think that's generally a lot tougher, though. And, and you know, charging um, a higher price, but having some service differentiation is, for me, a model that if I were to do it all again, that's what I would do. But I'm not going to do it all again because I've got another 23, 25 years left on this before I achieve all my goals. So I'm sticking with this. And, and your biggest goal is um, the one I achieve? Sure, yeah. We're going to be the, the, the number one uh, player in the office headset market uh, in North America. And we've got it pretty much mapped out. And um, we kind of look at our goals every year and we've got short-term and long-term goals. And uh, that's the goal for, for, for it's about 22 years out now. And you said headset manufacturer versus headset mm -hmm. distributor. So that's an interesting mm -hmm. aside because right now you sell many different brands of headsets. Can you expand upon this shift that you want to be making? Yes, of course, I'd be happy to. Um, we, um, about three years ago, we started manufacturing in China um, and the, the brand is Lightner. This is a, a Lightner headset. Um, uh, there we go. I'll do a, Show and tell if I can if I can reach it around there. Um, there's the that's the base for the for the yeah, wireless headset here. Wonderful. And um, uh, it's about sixty percent of our sales right now. Within the next few years, it will become a hundred percent of our sales. Um, and um, uh, we'll we'll become the number one manufacturer. So I'm, I'm a big believer in goal setting and visualization and writing things these things out and getting the team to focus and understand on what the what the direction is. Um, I find it quite exciting that it's, uh, it's you know, I'm, I'm 20, 23 years into the business. I've got 22 years left to go to complete the goal. Well, the business has changed so much. I, I, I would imagine, you know, looking at it from a technology insight kind of perspective from when you started in the 90s to now and mm. where you want to get to in another 20 years, especially with COVID, um, micro technologies and all of those aspects. The, the world of headsets has dramatically changed. And now with COVID, manufacturing in China has to be a very difficult process. And how do you keep your customer service levels up when you probably your supply chain has sort of broken mm. down? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, on, the, on, on the COVID side, that was kind of, I think we, we got a little bit, I want to say lucky on that. Perhaps that's the wrong word to use. But I think what I mean is we, we, we hold... We carry a lot of inventory, 
So um, when the supply chains got disrupted um, early this year, we were in a relatively good position with enough inventory to keep um, keep supplying customers. Um, and um, I guess another business philosophy of ours that that, that comes in there is um, we're very fortunate that we don't have debt, and um, we're, um, we're 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 able to hold a lot of inventory, which we do. Um, and you know, with the value of money at zero now, in terms of if we got money, if we put it in the bank, we're going to get zero or half a percent. Right. We'd rather keep it in inventory, and we keep a, a lot of inventory, which means we're able to uh, ride out some of the waves in the supply chain, um, and um, it puts us in a nice kind of business position there. And I'd rather put the money in inventory than than, than sitting in cash in the bank. And that kind of that's a different view than what a lot of Right. companies have but i think that view is changing a little bit as interest rates have, have moved towards zero over the last decade i'm thinking that you've invested a heck of a lot of money in people mm-hmm. as well as a ceo as a founder of a company how do you manage where you're spending your money and making sure that it gets into the right places that it needs to like how do you compensate your people? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, compensation, and I'll kind of just try and talk broadly there, if I may. But um, we we have some, we have some different compensation kind of styles of plans um, throughout the company. But generally, people are earning um, um, a base money and some bonuses, and, and we don't pay commissions uh, when you call up. 1-800 headsets and speak with someone, they don't get a commission. So whether you speak with them or someone else on another day, they don't mind. Um, and they'll often you know, say, no, no, you don't need a new headset, you need a new battery. Or no, no, I can tweak this for you just because it's five years old. So um, we kind of look to do the right thing with customers and we feel that paying commissions can be countered to that. Um, but we're bonused. Most people in the company have got some form of bonus scheme which relates around sometimes individual goals and sometimes goals that are the success of the company and, and then we change what we're bonused on and what the goals are um, every year according to how we think we want to the kind of the, 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 the nuanced directions that we right. want for the company during that year um, and there was something else here that you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on if I may Laura which was the um, I think you mentioned training or, or developing people developing people yeah developing people and one of our four core values is embrace feedback and learning. And we put a lot of effort into learning and teaching, and we're generally pretty unlimited. If someone wants to do something, we'll pay for it, um, because that's really important to us. And I say to people, you know, this isn't my phrase, someone else said this, I'm only repeating it, but um, you know, if we teach people, if we, if we help people grow and they leave, that costs us money. If we help people, if we don't help people grow and they stay, that costs us even more money. So the best thing we can do is spend money on, on education and people who may leave to get a better job, which is okay, or they may stay with us because of the investment we put in. But either way, we'll invest in their education for whether it's what they want to do here or if they want to do something in another job somewhere else. So your education isn't just on your internal policies or personality things or leadership stuff. It's if they want to learn something outside of the unique environment of their job, you want them to yes. grow as a, as people. 
totally, yes. Um, so it's just not sometimes people take courses on different skills, but we also spend a lot of time internally trying to share learning and education that we've got. I'm a big believer in peer learning. Um, so with people sharing internally some of the lessons that they've learned from the past, some of the things they're experiencing now, we tend to have a pretty open culture in terms of I've got a problem or who else can help me deal with this. And we think that's a wonderful way of learning. Is most of your staff on site in a location or are they remote? Well, they used to be. <laughs> so we've, we've got two offices. We've got um, San Francisco and Nashville. Okay. And we used to be used to be that 90% of our staff were in those two offices. And over the years, we had a few remote people, often people that had worked for us but wanted to move to another state for some reason. And we thought, all right, they're really good. We'd like to keep them on. Um, but it was always a secondary thought thought that people could work from home. And then we started setting more people up to do it in January of this year. And I don't know why, but so, for some reason. We had then initiative to get everyone set up to work from home. And it's kind of uncanny that we did that. And then in you know March, the pandemic came about and everyone apart from our people in the warehouse were are set up to, to, to work from home. And some people have taken advantage of that and moved cities or states, which we've encouraged as well. It's like, hey, be where you wanna be. We think, we think this is the new, new norm and it's working for us. In fact, it's worked very well. So we'll start reducing some of our office space over the next year or two. It, you said in January, you started making the shift and the immediate thought that went to, through my head was January, Wuhan, China, COVID, supply chain. I bet he kind of started noticing in the back of the mind somewhere that something was happening. You may not have been conscious of it, or maybe you were, but I'm thinking you maybe saw the writing somewhere. Yes, and, and I'd like to say I'm smart enough to say I saw this and I predicted it, but of course I'm not. Um, but it may have been something in the back of our minds that, that set it off. And, you know, were we lucky or was it some sort of intuition? Who knows? Well, all along in your career, your intuition has played a major part in the decisions you make. I mean, from that day you decided to sell everything you owned and leave England and come to the United States. And I love the story, by the way, about you standing in front of Apple, mm -hmm. just <laughs> absorbing all that was Apple and Cupertino and, and then eventually spending a lot of time with Waz. I had, I met him once and he's a really cool guy. So Yes. <laughs> You've been doing your research on me there. Good job, Laura. <laughs> well, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to have an interview with somebody, I want to know the person and ask some really good in-depth questions. Which leads me to another question about, about you, Mike. I mean, you talked about your being fanatical about a lot of things when you start, when you say, okay, this is what we're going to do, becoming fanatical about that. Mm. You have fanatical loyal fans. You're, I mean, I've been one forever, you know, it was just a, I need to serve my clients. I don't know enough about headsets. I can sell them. I can make my 10% margin or 15% margin on them back in the day, or I can refer my clients to somebody who can meet the most unique needs that they need. And then eventually, you know, I'll get more business from them or not, but they'll refer me because I met their needs. 
do you track that in your business? You've created this word of mouth culture for referrals that most people are afraid of. Yeah. And in the days today, everybody's like, oh, you must do social selling. You have to be the ones doing it, but you're not. Your customers are doing it. How did you get there? And how do you build that up? And I know it's not just about the Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> but they help. <laughs> I love my boxes I get randomly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if, if, if we've got a lot of science behind this, Laura. Um, I think we've just you know, over the years thought, do the right thing for the customer. And over time, that's created a, um, a loyal customer base that keep returning because we, we do the right thing. And I think it's as simple as that. And I think for me, in any business, if you keep doing the right thing, then chances are, it's almost certainly going to come back to you. It takes time. It takes patience because, you know, you, you do the right thing for a customer and it might be two years before they come back or maybe in some businesses it's a lot sooner. But in our business, you know, if someone's buying a headset, they might want another one in two years, five years, or even 10 years. And of course, there's some companies that are buying headsets, they're getting hundreds a month and, and, and we service those as well. But we've got right across the spectrum of, of individual buyers to, to large company buyers. And... Um, yeah, we, we, we've earned the reputation and, and it's been an investment which, which is valuable. But I'm not sure there's a particular science. Um, you asked about the, you know, do, do we measure it? Our repeat business or return business um, is uh, probably, I think, about 65, 66% of our sales at the moment. Wow, that's um, a huge number. And, you know, I don't know if that's right or not right, because we want new business as well. If it was 100%, it means we wouldn't have any new business. So right. I'm not sure if, if that ratio is necessarily good or bad, but, but I kind of like it. It feels good to me. I think it's a good number because headsets become sort of a part of somebody and they don't often like to change and models don't always stay and they, they change them up. I know I had that one year. I loved the model I had and it was no longer made anymore. This uh -huh. is before you were doing the Lightner stuff. And I got yeah. the new version of it and it just didn't fit my head right. <laughs> and it was always so uncomfortable. So it, it is a very personal thing for people, especially mm. now that, um, you know, for a podcaster, for a radio person, headsets are a huge piece. I can't tell you how many of these I've sold for you though. Try to get that on the camera because Thank you. a lot of the podcasters don't want headsets anymore. They don't like the way it looks, all the cords dangling. I love the way it looks. Yeah. I think if you get the wireless one, yeah, it's like easy. It looks great, Laura. Come on. Don't I look good in this? You do. And I used to wear them and I loved them and they were super comfortable and they actually like blended into my hair. So Really? I, don't, I don't get that problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, if I can on this, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm selling or pushing, but I, I like this because I can switch on this between the computer or my cell phone, or I can even merge the calls. Um, so I find that really useful. And I know that's not everyone's kind of thing, but I find it useful also that I can wander around. I mean, working from home now, and, or when I'm in the office, I've got one there, of course. But most of the time I'm from home now and I can walk around, I can do an errand while I'm on the phone, I can put mute on and, you know, wash the dishes or whatever. Um, people do all sorts of things. And I find that useful just to be able to keep moving and talking and listening. Yeah, headsets are a critical part of business. I used to 
walk around like this before the headsets became popular, you know, holding the phone and try to do yeah. everything when we were serving the customers. What was it about headsets that made you decide mm -hmm. to make that your business? Mm. Yeah, well, I was running. <laughs> I was running another business back in 97. Do you, um, do you remember when all the area codes were changing? Yes. All the phone area codes. You know, I'm thinking the Bay Area was 415. and It, it went for a, a huge area. Now it's then it split to 510 and 408, and they just kept splitting the area codes. Right. Well, I, and this is a one-minute story, if I may, but, um, but I like this one, if, if I can share it. I used to... I used to see from caller ID, and as there were more area codes coming, I couldn't see, I didn't know who the call was from. So I would tear the page out of the phone book and pin it on the wall. And the page in the phone book had a map up the front right. of the US and the area codes. And I'd go, oh, and I'd go, oh. And as there were more and more area codes, it became harder. And then also the phone book it would go kind of yellow and curl up after a few days as the page was out after a few weeks. So I'd get another one. So I started printing them in the end, thought, right, if I've got this problem, other people must have this problem, printing them in color, laminating them and selling them. So um, uh, this was 96, 97, and I got that to about $2 million a year in revenue, laminated area code maps. Really? Just yep. laminated area code maps? Yep, yep. <laughs> and um, uh, that the, the, we were using headsets, because I had, I think, about, uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen people working for me, processing orders, we were using headsets and the headsets we were using from the leading manufacturer, um, they weren't very good and we had to send them back and the quality wasn't good and they kept breaking and then they wouldn't take them back. And there was like, I thought, all right, this is a problem. And if I've got a problem, I'm probably not the only one. And based on a data point of one, which was me, which is all I usually do to make a lot of major decisions in life. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how I work. Okay. Um, Data I point thought, of one. Yeah, data point of one. I thought, all right, it's, it's a big sample for me, one. And I thought, okay, there's a problem there. I can do better than what this company's doing. So um, I set up headsets.com. Well, it was headset discounters at the time. We didn't have a website then, believe it or not, Laura. Um, we were uh, selling them out a website, and the website came later in, I don't know, 99 or 2000, and then we got the domain headsets.com from a competitor that sold it to us. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's the long story. That's how I got started. So I didn't wake up kind of one day and think, I can't wait to be in the headset business. It kind of developed. And I think like many things, you know, we stumble into it. And, you know, um, I'm hoping no one on your show thinks I want to be in the headset business. I discourage it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to click on that a little bit because this idea of the data point of one, it's not something that most entrepreneurs or most established business leaders are, are thinking about. They're like, mm. my data point of me and my concerns isn't enough to base an entire business on. Right. Can you elaborate on that and your thought process and, and maybe what your questions mm. you're asking yourself to decide this data point of one, yes, let's move forward with it? Maybe I'll try. Um, okay, as do, do the best um, you can. I didn't yeah. prep you on any of these questions. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they're the, the terrific questions. Um, you know, I'm. I, you know, I want to say it's intuition, but that doesn't mean I get it right. I get a lot of things wrong. But I tend to be, and perhaps it's a personality thing here. 
you know, I tend to be, if I feel it, then I want to try doing it and I'll experiment. And if it works, I'll do more of it. And if it doesn't, I won't. So it's kind of like my own mini testing lab that goes on within me. I've, I've got a high curiosity. So there's a little bit of a challenge, I think, that comes, comes along. And I, I, I sometimes, you know, I've helped a few other people start businesses really just from being there as a mentor. And I'm, I've always been happy to do that because it's kind of fun and exciting. Because um, I'm curious about, will this work? Let's try like this. What if we try like that? Have you, have you thought about this? And so, you know, it's part curiosity, part intuition, part low patience. But low like, patience? Yeah, I think so. It's like, all right, let me just try it and, and see if it works. Uh, I don't know if those are necessarily good or right characteristics. They're just me and it's what works. Well, but as your business has grown, having low patience and wanting to try things, I would imagine that's not as easy to do as when you started out because there's a machine behind you now. That yeah. It's like the difference between a dinghy changing course versus mm. a freighter changing course yes yes uh totally totally laura and you know i think what i've been very fortunate to develop around me is a, is a team of incredibly talented uh people that i trust and we trust each other and we have a high degree of trust and they can well i mean i've still got an impatience and sometimes that drives things like no one else can in the company. And sometimes they'll slow me down or get in my way for the right reasons in a deliberate way and put some controls in place. So, you know, I think that the balance that I've got with my close team in the company is pretty good and that it brings out the best in me, but also safeguards from some of maybe the worst in me. And as a team, we, we get results. So your data point of one really isn't a data point of one. <laughs> it's a momentary data point of one then opened up to your core team. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's developed in me. I mean, I think original. I mean, there's still data points of one where I want to make decisions, but before I used to just do it. Now I've got um, trusted people that I work with that I bounce those decisions off. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps one of my own developments over the years is I'm much more collaborative and consultative to get thoughts and opinions from others. Um, and I'm fortunate to have a pretty wide circle, not only within my company, but outside of my company within groups like, you know, EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Oh, where, okay. Love um, you. I, 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 yeah. I've got great friends there and great resources and I can often, you know, go to my group there or different groups and say, who's heard of this? What about this? And I get quick thoughts and, and, and feedback. So I think that's pretty been one of my development points over the last couple of decades. I know now you guys have uh, an advisory board. That's how I managed to connect with you to get this interview. Cause you mm. said, Hey, you got, you want to be on our advisory board? Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, yeah. I would love to influence, you know, the next wave of headsets and have people thinking about people who have, a hearing mm. issue like mine like how can yes. we how can we change some stuff like that mm. i mean the old school days that would be called a focus group but this is a more long-term thing than a focus group advisory board sounds a, a lot cooler <laughs> at what point do you say that okay i've heard everybody's opinion now i'm gonna just 
sit back and go, is this the right move? Mm. Yeah. And I think it will vary. I mean, sometimes I'll be keep asking opinions and I'll keep learning like our advisory board. I mean, I'll send you know, two or three times a year um, and ask opinions and thoughts. And I've been doing that for, for years now and I get some really good stuff back and I get some aggregated thoughts as well. You know, that right. 75% of people think this doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes I might still go the other way, but I might adapt an original idea because, or I might switch it completely. Um, and sometimes there's like, there's no time for asking anyone. I'm going to make a decision. This is what we're doing. And it might be right or wrong. So, you know, there's an element of perhaps intuition that one gets in business after 20 years of what's the right speed of decision making here. And I still get things wrong a lot. How do you decide when you've gotten it wrong and you need to pivot? Mm. Do you, I, I know you're going to say it varies. It depends, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess that there's some set of questions or thoughts that start going through. Maybe it's a physical feeling in your body or some process you've put in to help you begin to know, okay, this pivot's not working. Let's pivot another way. Yeah. Sometimes it will come from me. Sometimes it will come from my team. Um, We're pretty good at being direct and saying to each other. uh, And I feel very fortunate there. Um, Just, just thinking through, books in case it in case it resonates with you um one of the books that influenced us a lot was the five dysfunctions of a team by pat oh, lencioni uh, yeah i love yeah. that man um uh, me too uh, he, he uses our headsets um and um um yeah that book is is compulsory reading at certain levels in the company we encourage everyone but it's compulsory at certain levels and yeah for me that book is about having you know, the guts and also the trust to be very direct with, with the people that you work with. And we'll argue things out quite passionately sometimes. And people that are listening can kind of sometimes worry that, you know, they're fighting what's going on. It's like, no, no, we're passionate and, you know, we'll, we'll really get into it because we want to get to the right results. So uh, I don't know if I'm answering in a long-winded way there, Laura, but I think that, that, that ability we've got in the company means that we can construct ideas and destruct destruct ideas yeah i think um pretty quickly without fear of kind of ego or loss of face or yeah we got it wrong we tried that let's try something else now let's try something else and and keep doing that well it sounds like you and your team are regularly looking at the business processes the business plans where you want the business to go your staff it's not an ignore and then all of a sudden it's in your face you're you're watching you're looking you're constantly saying how can we improve am i am i incorrect in that statement oh totally totally correct i mean okay (laughs) yes yes i mean i I think i think we have a lot of self-analysis and um as individuals and a company where we are always looking to improve something and all right that's great we got it good now how can we get it better it's something that i see a lot with clients with companies that, you know, I'm asked to go into to sort of look at what's going wrong. It's because they don't have that process in there. They don't have a check and balance where they're looking every few months, every year going, well, we implemented something. Do we need to change it? Looking at the staffing. So I think that that's a big sign of your success, Mike, is how you've been able to do that. Even your pricing models when you started, Amazon wasn't a player in the field. Mm. And I know that 
over the years I've had people say, well, you can get that headset cheaper from Amazon or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't get the customer service associated with it. And I also know if I talk to you guys about it, sometimes you can get some better numbers from your distributor, you know, if need be. But for me, it's 60 days I get to try something. And that to me is more important than maybe saving $10. Mm, yes, yes. And, and you know, we probably had three or four different iterations of the company over the past 20 years and iterations, pivots, whatever we call them. And I'm sure there'll be three or four more over the next 20 years. Uh, you all, especially since you're moving to, you're not going to be selling any other people's devices. I would encourage right. you to consider selling some some things like this <laughs> because if you could make something even better of these kind of devices for people that need headsets that are maybe not, I know you want to be the number one in the office headset, but it's morphed. It would be really great to be able to use those products in other ways, maybe not thought of because the word office has changed dramatically, mm. even in the last eight yeah. months. Yeah, and office kind of, we say office, but it's kind of office, home office. In fact, right. home office, of course, is a is a huge part of our business now. And it used to be, you know, perhaps I'm going to guess three. We don't always know, of course, exactly where someone's using it. Cause sometimes the orders come in over the internet, and we don't talk to right. people. I'd say it used to be three or four percent of what we did, um, and now it's uh, by our best estimates, it's about 40, 45 percent. And that's been a huge change, of course, in just six months. How do you keep your creative juices flowing? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I got a few things I do that I like. Um, I, I run a bit. I don't run much. I start, people say, oh, you're a runner. I'm like, no, no, no. I kind of run, walk, run, walk, run, walk. So I don't <laughs> want to claim I'm a runner. But, but I find, I find when, I, when I get out and do that, I think differently. And, and I kind of like that. Um, I meditate. Um, which uh, and I've got various forms of, you know, I want to, uh, if I can use the term altered states of consciousness, uh, I'll, I'll do lucid dreaming or, or hypagogic where, uh, where I, I can, I go into a kind of visualization state and that really um, helps me a lot think differently and think creatively. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, part of my creativity just comes from, you know, I'm walking along and I'll see a billboard and, think oh oh and it sparks something in me so i think some of it's just innate and that it's just kind of how i tend to be creative of course creative doesn't always mean good you can be creative and come up with a lot of not good ideas and my ratio i don't think is particularly high um i just come up with lots of ideas but then filter them through to get down to what i think we want to try and not try i i know that one of the things that's important to you is giving back Mm -hmm. And uh, I always wondered if your creativity is one of the things and the way you do business and the whole customer experience model is how you developed your ideas behind giving back in philanthropy. Cause it's not the normal way of giving back. Mm. Can you elaborate for us some on why that's important to you and, and how you do that? Sure. Um, and again, we've had a couple of different models over the years that we, we, we played around with. But, um, you know, one of the ways we've done it is um, celebrity dinners, where we set up dinners with celebrities and, and then 
sold the seats to the dinners and then given the, the, the proceeds to the celebrities um, charity. Um, and, um, you know, it was just a kind of creative way of doing it so I could have some fun with it. Um, I don't like just giving blindly. I like to be involved a little bit. Right. Um, but involved in a way that's kind of fun and interesting for me and, and perhaps other people around me. So that's, you know, one of the things that we've, we've been doing over the years. And I've got to meet some kind of really fun, interesting people. Um, and then um, we'll often at the end of the year, not always, we sometimes like switch things on and off to keep it interesting, but um, give our staff um, a chance to donate to a charity of their choice. Um, and um, and then we'll match it. If they want to make a donation, we'll match it. We'll make a small one or we'll top it up even more if they want to make, if they want to add some in. And then um, we've just got involved with Souls for Souls. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I'm not. We, just picked, we just picked them as a charity to work with um, in the future. Um, and they collect used mainly shoes as well as started, but other clothing as well that can be used by other people and then give it away. So they've created a, a kind of channel there to, to um, take used clothing that might, uh, that isn't overworn, is still usable and get it to people that might not be able to afford it. I hope I've kind of described that. I don't know if I've described that quite right, but. Well, um, it feels like it's an inherent part of you and your culture. And when you described how you don't want to just give, you want to be involved with whatever's going on, that you've created this fun component into that. I mean, your whole business model, I, I mentioned Tootsie Rolls, right? So mm -hmm. everybody, if you order something from them, Tootsie Rolls of all kinds, every flavor will be included in the box. And sometimes if you just call them up and say, I want to send, I want some Tootsie Rolls. They'll send you a little bag of Tootsie Rolls. The other day, I think I got a four pound box. Because <laughs> I was like, what is this box? And I opened it up and I posted all over social media and it was a lot of fun. And I hadn't even, I had forgotten to tag something. And another friend of mine said, oh, you had an order from headsets.com, didn't you? <laughs> That's brand recognition. <laughs> Total brand recognition. Um, yeah. How do you, you said running clears your head, right? This is the biggest issue I'm seeing with my clients and my listeners that they keep bringing up right now is work never seems to stop. They're now working from home. The ones that weren't used to working from home, they're getting texts, they're getting calls at all hours of the day. I would imagine for your staff and for yourself, with customer service being so high and so important, you can get pretty mm. drained with mm. those conversations. How do you mm. for yourself and for your employees create yeah. boundaries? Mm. Yeah. And it, I think it is you know, with the new working from home, it can be a tough issue for some people. Um, so um, we, we encourage every person to make sure they get time during the day to get out if they can and walk or run or whatever their kind of way of doing that is because it's easy just to stay at home and not leave at the moment. I think that's become a, a, a possible habit. Um, we um, encourage and insist if we need to time off because we've been, we were noticing that some people are like, Oh, they've gone three months without a day off now. So when we said, no, you can't do that. We're going to change the policies if we need to, but you need to take a day off and, you know, 
can't tell you what to do, but we can tell you you're not going to work for a, a, a day or two. Um, we also put incentives in that uh, actually we're just launching an incentive where if you book certain numbers of days at the beginning of the quarter, you get an extra day or two free oh. to encourage people to use their, their vacation rather than just where there's nowhere to go. So I'll build it up. And then, of course, we've got a problem now with their mental health if they're not taking anything. And a problem later when, let's say, post-COVID, let's hope that isn't a, an event post-COVID, everyone wants to take their vacation. So we're trying to kind of take care of both of those problems at the same time. Um, and then, um, you know, for, for me, I, I usually about 4.30 p.m., I shut my computer and I'm done. Um, and we encourage that with most of our people. And, you know, if I'm getting emails at 6 or 7 o'clock, I won't usually see them to the next morning. Now and again, I might pick up for an hour, but rarely. And I'll be like, hey, what were you doing working late last night? It's no, no, no badge of honor in this company. If you're doing it now and again, it's all right. But if you're doing it more than occasionally, we've got a problem with that because we don't want people spending 10, 12 hours a day working. Everybody's so locked into their devices. I, I imagine that's yeah. not easy to hit into a culture, especially a tech company. Right. Yeah. It is, um, but, but I'm, I'm pretty strict about it, particularly with my close team. It's like you need to be time doing other stuff. Otherwise, your creativity will go because you get into a kind of monoculture, and that's all you can see if, if all you do is work. If you were to give one piece of advice to somebody in business today, mm. what would it be? I keep doing that to you, Mike. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, I also, I do have this reluctance to give advice. I'm not qualified to. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've done my gig, but... Um, You're a human being on this planet, uh, correct? Yes. If you were a human being on this planet, you've had experiences. And because yes. you've had experiences, you have wisdom. So all yeah. I'm asking you to share a yeah. piece of wisdom. Yeah. I mean, you've shared um, a lot. Sure. Um, take care of your customers. Yeah. Do the right thing with your customers. And I think you know, that's the biggest single thing we can do right um, in, in, in business. And, and I'll add to that, I think years ago, I didn't include my team, my employees in that. And now I think they're my customers as well and do it there as well. And that's a, a newer discovery for me. Um, so um, sad that I'm still learning as I get older, isn't it? I think I've got another 30, 40 years of learning left and, and, and then I'll be done with the learning. But um, you know, as I get older, there's new discoveries I make and each five years I kind of look back and think, why, I, why didn't I think that then? How come I've only just learned this? Perhaps I'm just a slow learner, Laura. My mother passed away at 88 and she was still learning right up until the moment she passed away. Wow, that's wonderful. So... Just keep, keep learning, Mike. I mean, yeah. how I've watched your company grow over the years is amazing to me. And, you know, I would add one piece to that advice you just gave because what you've said all throughout is you also have to take care of yourself while you're taking care of your business and your clients and your employees. It seems like a big part of who you are is remembering that everybody needs to take time, self-care of some yeah. sort. And you've built that into the culture. Yeah. And again, it's a later discovery for me. So, yeah. I'm, you know, I wish I'd have taken care of myself more 23 years ago, but I was working 12, 14 hours a day then. So. <laughs> I, I'm still struggling with the meditation thing. So when you were talking about all this meditation you did, I'm like, how does he manage to just do that? <laughs> mm. 
I, I struggle with just taking 10 minutes or I, I, my brain wants to just keep going everywhere. Mm, yeah. So, um, I think one of my new discoveries on that, I can't do traditional meditation, but in case this is useful, um, I found out that if I lie down and um, close my eyes, and I use a blindfold a lot, um, I can kind of um, see colors a little bit. Okay. Um, this, this is non-chemical assisted, by the way. Um, and um, I find that really fun and interesting and relaxing. And I come up with a wonderful sense of uh reinvigoration afterwards okay i'm going to try that i'm going to try that let, next and let, i will let, let you know how that goes and, and mike what's the best way for people to get more information about headsets.com or if they have questions yeah. oh well, well thank you laura um headsets.com the website of course um lightner headsets l-e-i-t-n-e-r lightner headsets that's our brand and we've got a website set up there as well at lightner headsets um, we sell our headsets on Amazon. Uh, we don't use distribution, so we sell direct or through Amazon if, if that's the kind of distribution. Um, and we don't mind where people where people buy them. Um, and um, one eight hundred headsets is the phone number. So um, and um, always uh, always welcome new customers and always welcome people just asking questions that want to learn and maybe want a headset or maybe don't. It's fine. Yeah, I encourage everybody to call 1-800-HEADSETS. Don't just go to the website because the interactions with your customer service people, the people that answer those phones, I literally was, oh, I'm ordering this one, I'm ordering this one. And then they called me when they saw that I kept returning them and they said, there's something you're missing. And you know, we can text all we want, we can email all we want, but sometimes five minutes on the phone with somebody just clears the air and gets you the best solution ever. And I want to credit you for the incredible team you've built and the business you've built. And thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure, Laura. It really is. This is, I mean, these are interesting, interesting questions you're asking and it's fun to talk about. So, so thank you. All right. Well, uh, maybe we'll touch base again in another few years and see how much more it's shifted to Lightner. <laughs> Make a Lightner speakerphone, please. Make a okay. Lightner speakerphone. For those of us who can't wear a headset because it would throw us into vertigo and I would drop to the floor. I'll work on that. The Lightner speakerphone, thank you. The Lightner speakerphone, yeah, it would be really cool to have. You can plug it into your cell phone and you can do all these great things with it. It would be wonderful to do that. But everybody, I, I'm just overjoyed that I got Mike Faith here with us today from headsets.com. And I encourage you to, if you need a headset, go to them. But beyond that, I think he had great wisdom. And he asked some great questions and answered some great questions that I think came from the, through you might have thrown your curve there, not your usual question that you get. <laughs> and, and everybody remember at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.